0: your scriptures now to Matthew chapter 19 as we look at a passage of text the Lord has really placed on my heart since the time I've returned from India it is regarding a sacrifice reward of sacrifice, sacrificing for salvation and the rewards in which we receive as as a young ruler comes before Jesus and he asks him an all important question of how to obtain eternal life and Jesus challenges his faith as well as exemplifies to his own disciples the rewards that come with sacrifice. In Matthew chapter 19, as we look into verses 16 through 29, as Matthew writes here to his audience of Jews about a Jew named Jesus and uh, lay out for him that Jesus is king. And here in the account of Jesus and the rich young ruler and the apostles' reward, he says in Matthew 19, verse 16, And behold, one came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you should not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this statement... He went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With men this is impossible, with with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's bow before we begin our study of God's word this morning. Our Father, once again, we pray and ask a simple prayer that you would open our eyes that we might see great and mighty things from your word which we do not yet know. Teach us what it is to sacrifice in your precious son's name we pray Amen (coughs) I just want to uh, thank you once again especially the leadership for allowing me to go for a couple of weeks away to teach in India it was a real blessing to me and an eye-opening experience to say the least I uh, fell sick this week, and so next week I'll share more in pictures, Lord willing, again uh, about the trip. But it was an eye-opening experience, especially from the day that I, I landed. I landed at night about 10.30, and then after getting out of the airport, there was a, a drive in a van, and a minivan, SUV type of a vehicle, four and a half hours away to the city of Pune that night. And it was... In the middle of the night, and that was an adventure in and of itself, I have to say. If you've never ridden in the middle of the night in India, imagine to yourself that you're traveling along this highway. Three-lane highway, you see. Three-lane highway going this way from Bombay to Pune, and There's a three-lane highway going the other way, and there's a barrier in between. And there's no lamps, you know, none of these street lights type of thing. No call boxes in case you get into any trouble. And there you are, you're driving and I should say you're riding in in a rented vehicle and everyone has their high beams on. I don't know why, but they like to shine their high beams. Pitch black darkness. And there you come. You see this huge lorry, large truck coming down your side of the freeway. You know, this is all normal. And I we're looking, this car is coming on the wrong, it doesn't matter, there's a barrier. And then the the driver's here dodging in and out, around the potholes, and there's little rickshaws you see, coming down the other side of the road, coming on your side. It doesn't seem to matter. In the daytime, when you're driving along the streets, they ride just about anything. These little auto rickshaws, little motorcycles here and there, couple of camels coming down the street. Rule of the road is what? Whoever has the bigger car wins. And so they will go whatever direction. It doesn't matter if there's a barrier in between. That is, whoever has the bigger car, unless you're a cow. And then you're sacred and everybody's dodging around these things. And I asked the dumb question. I said, well, do you have a, you know, because there were all sorts of potholes all around. And you just drove, I mean, whatever, whatever way you could get to where your destination was. Do you have a a road repair crew To, to which they said, well, yes, we do. We're still trying to find them. <laughs> and then I said, well, we like to think of our roads as rather water-soluble. And so there they were, you know. And, 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 and you know, one of the rules of the road was you, you had to avoid the pedestrians. and Because if you hit a pedestrian, the good chances would be that you or the driver would be dragged out of your car and beaten up. Not by the cops, but by the, the, the standbys who thought, you know, you should know better than to hit people. And so, you had to be very careful. And of course, I told my class all of these things. I was shocked. You know, people drive down your side of the freeway and all that. And they just stood there looking at me. Like, what's that's new? They said, somebody said to me later, you know, if you, if you were to tell us that all of us were driving along the right side of the freeway, going the right direction, and had everybody was following the law, we'd say, oh no, what's going on? <laughs> but I wanted to thank you for your prayers, because... There were a couple of, a few rides like that, four or five hours, and going through the mountains and dodging various things, and it, it's a rather dangerous type of a trip. And it really hit me because last month there was a missionary, his name's Jeremy Smith, one of the teachers at the Pastoral Training Institute, whom I was substituting for, sat in my house and we prayed. We prayed his ministry and we talked about what I'd be doing and he has a wife and he has three little kids and he was on furlough here in the states you see and he went back last week Thursday and uh, landed in Bombay i got this email last Thursday dear friends the smith family grace church missionaries in pune india were involved in a serious automobile accident this morning in india the Smiths had just returned to India from the USA. They landed in Bombay, Mumbai, India, were being driven in an SUV from the airport in Mumbai on the three hour drive to their home in Pune. About one hour outside of Pune, their vehicle collided with a truck. The family was taken to a trauma center on the outskirts of Pune for treatment. Jeremy Smith sustained multiple head injuries, and he is in critical condition. Andrea Smith also sustained head injuries and is unconscious. Little Jeremy needed some stitches, but talking and alert. Abigail's hand was injured. Nathan was not injured. Update number four. He has a seriously fractured skull and lacerations in the frontal lobe of his brain. He is stable, but injuries like that have to be watched closely for swelling, infection, etc., So Jeremy is not out of serious danger yet. Update number five, the latest one I have. The doctors are planning to operate on Jeremy's head to remove bone fragments from his brain. Jeremy will also need surgery tomorrow to repair his right femur, which was fractured, unquote. And I thought to myself, he probably had the same driver that I had, who drives a lot of times this... Those who are teachers from the school came home on that very same road trying to get used to the driving that they had. And you see sometimes as you drive along some of the roads, you'll see some of the SUVs or the cars that have been totaled. And you'll see the front end smashed in because they've come to a head-on accident. And sometimes it is extremely tragic You just hope, you just hope that someone who was driving by will see you pull your body from the road and and take it to a nearby hospital, which is what they did for he and his family. Unfortunately, there were looters who took the things out of their car. They stole the... Items that they had and yet even in God's sovereignty, God was gracious because one of the people from the church happened to call him on the cell phone and one of the looters answered the phone and told them where the accident was and then hung up and allowed them to call their pastor who was in India and they were able to find out which hospital he was at and care for the children. You think of afternoons like that that just came to me just a few days ago. And you think to yourself, as I thought to myself, is that the type of ministry that would be worth it? The type of life that you would take your own kids to? Would you be willing to put the life of your spouse and the life of your children on the line? For the sake of the Word of God, that they might teach people, to train them so that they might reach people for Christ? Would you be willing to put your life on the line, the life of your family, the life of your kids? For them, it would have been able, they would have been able to fly there to Pune, but it would have probably cost about $400 more each way. Many people would probably say, no, no, I wouldn't ever do that. If my child even catches as much as a flu, we're out of there, or if it's dirty You know, they don't have perhaps some of the sanitation. No way I wouldn't do that. God would have to really call me, drag me to a place like that. When I went, I wanted to learn as well as to teach. To learn from God, to learn from seeing these students, to learn from the people, to see what God would teach me as well as what I would be able to teach to them. And the thing that I learned the most as I was reflecting on the way home or reflecting having coming back is the story and the theme of sacrifice, sacrifice for God. What it means to sacrifice for God, to sacrifice one's life, to sacrifice of one's ministry, to sacrifice for the sake of things that would be worthwhile for all of eternity in the life that we live today. And in this account that we see here, it begins with salvation. But Jesus answers that question to Peter who asks of him, well, what have we got that is in store for me? Peter says in verse 29. We've left everything. We've left everything for you, Jesus. We've come on your terms. So what is it in for me? And Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much Receive eternal life. That type of sacrifice is what God calls us to. And if we don't know Him, it begins with salvation and broad brushstrokes here. As Jesus paints for us two major principles in the accounts here. That we cannot come to God on our own terms, first of all, in verse 16 to 26. And our sacrifice for Him will be abundantly repaid. Our sacrifice for Him will be abundant and will be repaid. As he begins here in verse 16, that we cannot come to God, first of all, on our own terms. For here in the story, it says here, the promise comes after what happens here. A wealthy young ruler comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he says, What good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? That's what he says. That's when he says, "What can I do to have eternal life?" Wouldn't that be exciting if somebody came to you and said, "What do I need to do to be a Christian? What do I need to do to get to heaven? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life?" Boy, that's like uh, a—that's like the question that you know what? All of us as Christians should hope that someone would ask us, "How can I get to heaven? How can I become a Christian?" <laughs> We'd say, what, well, well, you know that's the that, uh, uh, what well, do, you, do you understand that you know maybe you've done things wrong, you're a sinner, and uh yeah, 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 well, well you know uh, and and you need to believe in Jesus, you know who Jesus is Jesus is the Son of God, you know he died on the cross for your sins, and uh and if you if you place your faith and trust and willing to turn from your sins, then then you could have eternal life. Would you like to do that now? We'd love to be able to say something like that. Or if maybe you're unprepared, as someone once told me, somebody asked them that and they said, well, uh, read John. <laughs> Others would say, well, you should come to church or maybe you can talk to my pastor or whatever it might be. But that is a, that is a gem of a question. Somebody wants to know how they can be saved. The question that is wonderful to answer because here you have the gift of salvation that you can impart to them the truth of how to have that free gift that God grants to us. But Jesus doesn't answer in that way. Jesus doesn't go ahead and tell them is good the the, the the gospel. So why are you asking me, it says in verse seventeen, about what is good? There's only one who is good. There's only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, then keep the commandments. Keep the commandments? What do you mean, keep the commandments? Why is Jesus telling him this? Jesus is telling him this because he knows the heart of this man. In the heart of this man, he wants the man to come to a realization of his own state that he is in. The own state that he is in. So he says, keep the commandments. And he says, What? Which ones? Which ones? And Jesus lists five of them. Go, don't commit murder, and don't commit adultery. You shouldn't steal, and don't bear false witness. You honor your parents. You love your neighbor as yourself. All of these things have to do with our relationship with one another. In other words, Jesus presented to him the law of God. The law of God. And the man answers, And he gets the whole answer wrong. He says, all these things I have kept, but what am I still lacking? You see, anybody in their right mind and in their right heart probably wouldn't say that, who has a heart that really sees themselves as God sees them. Wouldn't say it that way. For this man had a heart that thought to himself, you know what, I've kept all of these things. I am a good guy. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't treated my parents wrong. I'm alright. Compare me with the rest of the crowd. I'm a decent kind of guy. And in his own self-righteousness, in his own pride, in his own lack of seeing his true condition as a sinner before God. He says, I've done all of these things. And that's why Jesus asks him this question. Keep all the commandments. And these are the commandments. Because the commandments and the law of God were given. That we might see our own sinfulness. To see that we cannot do anything to earn our way to heaven. That we can never be good enough. That we need God. Yet it's, the man didn't see that. The man didn't see that. And so he says to him, verse 21, If you wish to be complete, then what? Go and sell everything that you have. You shall have treasure in heaven. You shall have treasure in heaven. He confronts the man again with his own sin. His own sin that he might see where he's at. That he clung to the things of this world. Not like the man in Matthew chapter 13 who who wanted to buy a field because he had found a great pearl there. A great price. And he wanted to give all that he had so that he could have salvation. Jesus wanted this young ruler to see his own sin so that he might come to God in abandonment of everything that he had. And to say, God, I need you. To confront him with his own sin that he might come. And the young man heard this. Was he willing to give up all that he had for the preciousness of salvation? To sacrifice everything? Was the willingness there in his heart? Was the willingness there to surrender all? The answer for him was no, for it said he had owned much property. And Jesus said, I truly say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And you know what? This astonished. Look at the reaction of the disciples. When they heard this, they were astonished and said, then who can be saved? You see, the reason why they were astonished, because in their Jewish mindset, If you were wealthy, if you had a lot of possessions, you were blessed of God. You were in God's favor. It doesn't matter what your heart was. The assumption was you were right before God. God blessed those who are rich and God gave to them everything such that they were seen favorably in the eyes of God. And they would be going to heaven of all people. Those who were wealthy would go to heaven. In fact, the rabbis taught... That it was virtuous to stockpile wealth. In fact, it would they were teaching too. That if you gave more than a fifth of all that you owned to God, it was considered sinful. And it was really a teaching that would pander to themselves. That they might be able to hoard more for themselves. And giving of alms, giving of, of offering was the scene in a way to buy one's salvation. That's why the disciples were shocked. And that's why they said, boy, then, who can be saved? If the wealthy cannot be saved, who can be saved? Jesus says, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We do not come to God on our own terms. But secondly, that our sacrifice will be abundantly repaid. Our sacrifice will be abundantly repaid in 27 to 29. And Peter, in his usual haste, says this, well, what's, in, what's in it for us? What's in it for us? That rich guy, he, he didn't want to give all that he had, but but, 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 but but Jesus, here we did. We left our houses, we left everything, we left our, our homes, we left our fishing, we left our livelihood to follow you. Do we, do we qualify, Jesus, for eternal life? And the answer was, Yes yes not only with that person who gives up everything is willing has a willing heart to abandon anything that they might see of themselves and their own self righteousness their own self righteousness to, to 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 say god grant to me i can't be righteous in of myself i can't buy my way to heaven truly i say to you jesus says The regeneration, you'll sit on the throne. Twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The answer to them was yes. Many times you see a person needs to turn their back on the things of this world. When they come to Christ. People in other countries... They leave their families or the things they own, their job and their livelihood. Maybe not so much in this country. The sacrifice that is called is not so great to come to Christ, but Christ calls them to come. That anything we could possibly see that is good and of ourselves, abandoned to God, that we might have the righteousness of Christ. The principle is simple. Whatever you sacrifice to Christ and for the Lord, Christ will repay many times over. I saw this in the lives of the people in India. I watched them as they sacrificed for the Lord. There was a man in my class. His name was Alexander. And his English wasn't very good. He'd come to the Pastoral Training Institute. He had a, a wife and... Two little boys, cute little boys. He was already a pastor. He had already planted two churches. Yet he wanted to come for more training. The Lord placed on his heart the desire to come and the desire to learn the Word of God. So he sold his farm. He paid off his debt. And he moved his wife and his two children to Pune where they could study. And one morning few mornings before we were to leave, he invited Art Nakamura, who's a, a missionary friend of our church, invited Art and I to breakfast. And that's when I realized the greatness of, of his sacrifice and desire to hear and learn the Word of God. You walk into the little home that they have rented. They rented a home not far away. You, rented, you go into this small room, which was their kind of their living room. There's nothing there except for a a dirty kind of a couch, orange. No decor, no pictures on the wall, no tables, no chairs. The paint was peeling off of the walls. This place was in such poor condition. But only on the walls there were these pieces of paper with Scripture written on them, Bible verses. They would remind them of God's truth. The floor was dirty. They walked around barefoot in their home. And they invited us into the next room where there was a kind of a dining room. And there was a table there with four chairs. There was dim lighting and a sink. And there was a refrigerator there. And It was a refrigerator that Art had donated. It was his refrigerator. He had donated it to the school. And the school had given it to... Alex and Art said, Oh, that's, that's my refrigerator. I recognize that. How is it? And Alex showed us the refrigerator because the freezer had broken and somebody had tried to come and fix it. And so he opened the freezer and the freezer was uh, all dismantled on the inside because whoever had come to fix it had taken it apart, but hadn't been successful. And so it, it had taken this refrigerator and, and the freezer no longer worked. And I thought to myself, Well, I, well, at least the refrigerator works, because in a hot and humid climate, that's in important. So, we asked, and he opened the refrigerator door, and told us that didn't work either. In fact, when he opened the door, the, the bottom was covered with ants. So, he had no refrigeration. And then when Art went to wash his hands, we learned that for some reason the, the water wasn't working The water wasn't working and and so they had this big bucket probably came from the community well in which the water was just pumped out and goes through this little filter about that big. No running water and we found out later too as we talked uh, that the roof leaked water and when it rained the monsoons had come and very little furniture and we had this very simple breakfast. Very little simple breakfast of uh, some type of uh, what they call idli. And then some curry with egg on top and eat with their hands, you know. Very little furniture, no refrigeration, no running water, the roof leaks. And there he was raising two little boys. How would you feel if you had to live in a place like that? How would you feel? I know I probably would have struggled with feelings of misery or frustration. And I'll tell you how Alex felt. He sat there. I remember he sat there. Him and Art and I. He sat there. And he almost cried. He almost cried as he was talking. And we thought about his situation. About the leaky roof. No refrigeration, no running water. Two little boys. He almost cried, you see. But he wasn't crying because of his miserable situation. As he shared with us, he he cried because he was grateful. And he said how grateful he was to have been able to come. To study the Word of God and how precious it was to have us there to teach. That he might learn how to better raise his kids from art. That he might hear the Word of God. And his focus wasn't at all on his situation. It didn't matter to him if he had running water or not. It didn't matter to him that he didn't have refrigeration. He said it not a matter of, oh yeah, the roof leaks or whatever it was. But he wasn't crying because of that. What a privilege it was to hear the word of God. Because it was worth the sacrifice of selling his farm. Moving his family here to live in this place. That was only decorated by the verses of scripture on the wall. And I think of people like Jeremy and Andrea who are are in the hospital now. Who have their three kids as they are struggling to live We're praying that his brain doesn't swell. Major threat of infection from the hospital that he's at. Why do they go to take their kids to a place like that? To save a little money to drive on this freeway. Because the sacrifice is worth it. Sacrifice to teach. Sacrifice to learn. The sacrifice of ministry. Because we cannot outgive God for all that God has granted to us. Because God has said here what? That no matter what you give, God will repay many times over. Many times over. The privilege of learning. And what a worthy life that will be. Because you have one life to live. You have one life on this earth to live. What will you do to live your life of sacrifice to God? That God might look down and see the sacrifice as a soothing aroma. For He calls us to live that type of life. For in Romans 12.1, we've been looking at the book of Romans. If you look in that book, a few books over. Romans 12.1, after... Eleven chapters of doctrine, of eleven chapters of learning about our sin and being sanctified and how God justified us and how Christ shed his blood for you and for I. The first commandment comes twelve chapters later in the book of Romans, where it says in Romans 12, 1, I urge you, Paul says, I urge you by the mercies of God, brethren. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do you want to be a worshipper of God? Do you want to be a living sacrifice? Give your life to God, because it will be worth it. God, what does God want most from you and from me? He wants our lives, that we might live for Him, not for ourselves. And I'm convinced as I come back that most people here do not know what it is in the States to truly sacrifice as others do around the world. There are people in in the class who want to go out and they want to go to places. I ask them, what do they want to do? What do they want to do in their future? And they want to go back. One student's from Burma and he came all the way to India to study and he says, you know, I want to go back to Burma to be a missionary to my people. Why? Because I know that missionaries from outside aren't allowed in. But I can come and learn and go back and reach my people. Other places that that they want to go are places that are dangerous. One graduate recently, we went to another week there, the weekend trip. He went to a Nasik, which was a city of, of temples. Very idolatrous place without a church. And go there and to, 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 to preach the Word of God so that they might know. To risk their lives to bring His two kids there as well. A place where they don't know anyone and their culture is different than that culture. But they stretch themselves because it is worth it. The call of God on the life. To go where God would call them to go. We sacrifice for God here. if Oh, it's convenient. If I have time. Or if I have just some extra money or whatever it might be. But we don't stretch ourselves to say, Is God desirous that I do this? Or go here or follow Him. Even though it might be difficult. Or even though it might be dangerous. God calls, we go. We go. We sacrifice for God. Sacrifice for God. And God says, I will repay you. Many times over. The Bible tells us when we do it in our times, God repays. And so we ask ourselves, what is my life like? What is my life like? Is my life a sacrifice towards God? Or do we hold so tightly to our plans, our desires, our dreams, our comforts, our conveniences, our wonderful weekends when we can rest or whatever it might be? We hold so tightly to our our studies, our school, our grades, our career. What is life about? It's about me. It's about my selfishness, about my desires, about my self-fulfillment, about my self-centeredness, about my self-improvement. In all our selfishness, people become more and more discontent because it's so unfulfilling. They're not where God wants them to be and they begin to blame others for it. And the reality of it is we truly do what God wants us to do then we'll find that we'll be fulfilled. Reality is that we're so blessed here, isn't it? We're so blessed here in the States. You want to grow in the Lord? I, I, you know, I watched as, well as when Art brought some books to a pastor, a graduate and he opened those books. He opened those books from that box. And books... They're, they're much too expensive. He can't afford them. When he opened that book, they were commentaries or theology book. He, he held them. He was blessed. It's a sacrifice that he has given up so much, and yet, what do we have here? We could take a class and learn more about the Word of God, but we don't. We can go and this afternoon go to a Christian bookstore and buy a book and read and study and grow that we might have an impact on this world and we don't. We'd be more concerned about a leaky roof than about how precious it is like Alex and cry by the fact that we can learn the Word of God. No, it's not too convenient. No, I don't like that evening. No, I I, I just don't want to spend that kind of money or whatever it might be. We can do all sorts of things to grow when others don't. We sacrifice for the ministry. To live a life that God calls us to of selflessness, of self-denial, of self-sacrifice and unselfish living. That is what God taught me. That is what God taught me through the lives of these people. And as people go and we see how much they give, how little they have and what they do with what the little that they have to give to God in a way that would be of their lives of risking their children and risking their own families, that others might be blessed by the hearing of the word of God. That's why Jeremy lays in a hospital today with his wife and his kids who are now being cared for by someone else. He lays in a hospital that people like Alex might be blessed. That they might, in turn, go out and plant perhaps more churches for the kingdom of God. Because you cannot outgive God. You cannot sacrifice so much that God has not sacrificed more for you. And it is because of that that we are motivated to to do for God far beyond that which we could ask or think and God will repay and that is the promise of God that we do not come to God on his own terms and when we come to God on his terms to grant to him what he desires of us of our own lives as a living sacrifice God repays far beyond what we could ever ask or think let's pray Our Father in Heaven, it's been a difficult few days, Lord, for many. As I know, Father, the families of Jeremy and Andrea are even trying to fly over there now to be by their son and daughter's bedside. We pray, God, for them, that, Father, they would survive, live, that they, Father, would be able to continue the work which you have called them to do, the work which is such a blessing, Lord, to those who have given all, that they might hear and learn your word. We pray, God, that we might not ever take it for granted the privileges that we have, that, Father, that we too might live a life as a living sacrifice to you. For you have promised, Father, you will abundantly repay And, Father, we pray that you would grant us the grace, the determination, Father, to live for you. To live a life of sacrifice. That your kingdom might be made great. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.